Well, I've really appreciated your response to this present series of messages from Romans chapters 1 through 8. You know, at first I thought we might be aiming just a little bit high because this section of the New Testament is just so loaded with theology. But it has been good for me to see that there's a keen interest in discovering or rediscovering the significance of these ancient words. These ancient words that have everything to do with the direction and quality of our lives in the 21st century. You see, folks, it's just a fact that the way we think determines the way we live. The Apostle Paul will say it later in Romans 12, verse 2, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. And this is why the most important education that you or your children or your grandchildren ever have is an education in the Word of God. And so it is the study of theology or the study of God from Scripture, what we're doing right now. That is absolutely the best thing we can do to renew our minds and transform our lives. You see, if you think that God is non-existent, then you have to subscribe to the idea that we're all here by accident, and it is survival of the fittest, and you will live without any sense of moral accountability to God. Or if you think that God is detached, that He is impersonal, that He created this universe, He kind of wound it up, and then He just walked away, then for you, life will become meaningless. You will live without any kind of desire for a relationship with Him. If you think that God is finite, then you're not going to respect Him or worship Him as God. If you think God is vengeful, then you're either going to live in perpetual fear on one hand or angry rebellion on the other hand. If you think that God is without compassion. If you think He doesn't care, you're not going to bother praying to Him. But, but if you believe you are the special creation of a loving Heavenly Father who has numbered the hairs on your head, a Heavenly Father who relates to you as His child, who is available to you 24-7, a Father that has been and is on a quest to save His lost creation, who has revealed Himself in the Bible and in Jesus, who's coming again to the earth to usher in God's eternal day and restore you to Himself. If you believe that, it'll shape your life, it will shape your character, it will shape your soul in dynamic ways. Here's the bottom line. Our theology what we read and hear and study and think about God will ultimately determine whether we're moral or immoral, religious or irreligious, humble or haughty, selfish or selfless, generous or greedy, self-sacrificing or self-serving, saved or lost. Well, today, we've come to Romans chapter 4 and chapter 5 where we find this ancient word, justification, is prominent. 
in both chapters. And it's a word that we seldom hear anymore, probably one that we don't exactly comprehend when we do hear it. But it is a powerful teaching in the New Testament that we need to understand. And all of Romans chapter 4, Abraham is introduced to us as a living, breathing model of what's called justification by faith. Abraham, whose story began in Genesis chapter 12, is a model of justification by faith, and that takes all of chapter 4 of Romans. Let me just pull out the key verses, Romans chapter 4, verse 3, and then verses 22 to 25. Beautiful passage. What does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words, it was credited to him, were written not only for him alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. So there's the word. There's the ancient word, justification. But what are we talking about when we're talking about justification anyway? Well, the answer comes right out of the text of the very next chapter, Romans chapter 5. It's page 70, or rather page 798 in your pew Bible if you want to turn to it, or you can read it on the screen. I want you to count, as I read through this text, I want you to count what I am calling today the joys of justification. There are seven of them in verses 1 through 11 of Romans uh, chapter 5. Here we go. Therefore, since we have been justified, okay, there's the topic sentence, since we have been justified through faith, we have, number one, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained, number two, access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom He's given us. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through His life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Well, I'm going to confess to kind of a teaching accent in this message, but the positive side of it is this morning 
I'm going to dump the joys of justification on your head. You ought to leave church happy today. Because I'm going to dump a, the, the joys, the seven joys of justification right out on your head. And they're right in this passage we just read. We're going to walk down through it. The first joy is peace with God. It's in verse 1. So, why in the world do we need peace with God anyhow? Because in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says, While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And verse 10 says, When we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son. So, so if we are not in Christ, then we're still sinners. If we are not in Christ, we're still God's enemies. Now, peace with God in this passage is unique. It's different than the peace of God. The peace of God is tranquility in your soul, deep down contentment, anxiety-free living. That's the peace of God. But peace, peace with God is different. I heard about an atheist who was on his deathbed. His godly uncle visited him and asked him if he had peace with God, and he responded, I didn't know we'd been fighting. Some lost people don't think they're God's enemy because they're not actively opposing the work of God. They just don't support it in any way. They are just neutral towards God. But there's no such thing as neutrality here. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, verse 30, He that is not with me is against me. And in Romans chapter 8, verse 7, we read the carnal mind is at war with God. So we may not consider ourselves God's enemies, but that's not how he sees it. Now, if we're God's enemies, we're fighting a war we can't win. But praise God in his great mercy and love, he's provided exactly what we need. We needed a mediator. Jesus, his son, has secured our peace with God. Here's how he did it. He hung on a cross, and the vertical beam unites heaven and earth, reconciling God and his estranged children, and the horizontal beam. He has his arms outstretched to embrace people of every tongue and tribe and nation. We have peace with God. And the second joy of justification is access to God. That's in verse 2. You remember the word access. In our culture, we tend to take access to God for granted. But to the Jews, it was a big deal. And it really should be a bigger deal with us. For the Jews, it was only the high priest who had the kind of intimate access with God that we enjoy under the new covenant. But you remember the Jews had the temple, and there were three sections to the temple, and in the center of the temple was what is called the Holy of Holies. And that was separated from the holy place by a thick curtain, a curtain was, that was as thick as the breadth of a man's hand. No human being could, could take a hold of it and tear it in two. We're talking about a thick, heavy veil that separated the Holy of Holies from the holy place. And this is where the presence of God was pleased to dwell. And the high priest was the only guy that went in there. He went in there one time a year to make atonement for the sins of the people. But do you know what happened 
When Jesus died on the cross, here's what happened when he died on the cross. Matthew 27, verse 50 and 51. When Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, at the moment that Jesus died, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. It's as though a giant pair of shears in the hands of God split the temple veil and it fell like tissue paper as the sacrifice of Jesus opened up our way to the presence of God. No longer would God pre God's presence be confined in the Holy of Holies. He has broken out and Here's the great joy. Take a look. 1 Corinthians 6.19. You know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you've received from God. You see that word there, temple? That is the Greek word nave. It is the same word that's used to refer to the holy of holies in the temple in the Old Testament where the presence of God was pleased to dwell. Now... Your body, as a Christian, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. It is His holy of holies. I submit to you that that was the whole idea with the temple in the first place. God was giving us a prelude to what He wanted to have happen one day as the temple veil is split, it is rent, and the presence of God fills the earth, and more importantly, it fills the body of those who belong to Him. Our access to God is profound. The Holy Spirit lives in your mortal body. And when Jesus died on the cross, He did more than just open up the way to our access to God. His death made it possible for God's presence, His Spirit, to break out and inhabit our bodies. You and I, as Christ followers, are His living holy of holies. So knowing the price that has been paid so we might have access to God, I wonder, I wonder what Jesus thinks when we don't utilize that access to God in prayer, when we take for granted the fact that His Spirit lives in us. I'm not talking about a prayer time here, folks. I'm talking about a prayer life. There's a difference between prayer time and a prayer life. The third joy of justification is this, access to grace. Not only access to God, but also access to grace. It's in verse 2. It's true that we're saved from God's wrath by God's grace when we first come to Jesus. But listen, when we become Christ followers, we do not become perfect. We continue to be dependent on God's grace. In fact, the Apostle John writes to early Christians, and here's what he says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. This is written to Christian people. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. I want to remind you again, that is written to Christian people, not non-Christian people. You've got to go to the book of Acts if you're not a Christian to see how to respond to God's grace. Once you become a Christian, however... If you confess your sins, if you say what God says about your sins, He's faithful and just, will forgive you your sins and purify you from all unrighteousness. It goes on to say that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus the Righteous One. So our access to grace is perpetual. It is lifelong. And I have to tell you, 
The sins I wrestle with in this season of my life are not the ones I wrestle with in my teens and in my 20s. But all my life, I want to maintain a humble dependence on God's grace. This morning, this morning when Richard and Cassandra stood up here and sang the lyrics to that song, God speaking, I know you, I love you, it just reached into me because I know I am dependent on His grace as His child. I never want to fail to say what He says about my sin. I'm not going to say what society thinks about sin or what I may rationalize. I want to know what He says about sin. I want to come into agreement with Him about that and receive His grace, continue to have access to His grace. The fourth joy of justification is the joy of hope. That's in verse 2. In 1965, James Stockdale became one of the first American pilots shot down over Vietnam. He was a POW for seven years, tortured frequently to get information, try to get him to denounce his American citizenship. He was chained for days with his hands above his head so he couldn't even swat the mosquitoes that swarmed his body. His leg was broken and never reset. How could anyone survive for seven years that kind of treatment? Stockdale would later say it was all about hope, the hope that he would one day go home and see his family again. That's what kept him clinging to life. It was his hope. Hope gave Stockdale an inner sustaining joy. But listen, reunion with family is a temporary hope. It's an insufficient hope because after being restored to his family one day Stockdale is going to be separated from them again by death the only hope that truly sustains is the hope of the glory of God and the world offers a hopeless end but God offers an endless hope George Bernard Shaw was an atheist who pinned his hopes on this material world but just before he died, he was quoted as saying, you are looking at an atheist who has lost his faith. In the Bible, hope is not wishful thinking. In the Bible, hope is almost always a noun. It is not a verb. Hope is not something we do. Rather, it is something we possess. And the hope of Christ's return is a promise. It is not a wish. Hope. The joy of hope is an expression of justification. So we've got the peace of God, so our salvation is anchored in the past, right? We've got access to God, and we've got access to grace. So our salvation is anchored in the present, and we've got hope, which means our salvation is anchored in the future. No matter what happens to us in this life, our anchor holds. Three other joys of justification. The joy of sufferings. What? Yeah. The joy in sufferings, verses 3 and 4. We're living each day as people who are justified, so we handle our sufferings differently. Our text 
declares that our sufferings actually provide desirable traits in our lives, and it mentions three. It mentions perseverance, it mentions character, and it mentions hope. Now, right now, you're not going to hear uh, Kenneth Copeland, Paula White, Jesse Duplantis, Benny Hinn stuff. They all teach that God wants you healthy and God wants you wealthy, and they can put amazing spin on the Scripture to make their case. But what it boils down to is you put the Lord first, and then you send a seed gift to their ministry and make it a big one. And then you expect a better job. You expect great checkups. You expect the winning lotto ticket. You expect cancer cures. You expect exotic vacations and the rest. While they buy jet airplanes, luxury cars, sprawling estates, it's just a fact. The fundamental assumption is that if you follow the Lord, you won't suffer. Jesus taught no such thing. He said in Matthew 16, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. God's Word makes it clear that the troubles and suffering we face can work for us and not against us because we've been justified through faith in Christ. So He uses these afflictions to strengthen us, perseverance, to mature us, character, and to focus us on the greater life, hope. Now, friends, I know this is true. And if you think about it for a moment, you will admit it's true. This is your experience. It's certainly mine. When I feel weak, that's when I lean into God's strength. When I don't know what's best, that's when I ask for His wisdom. When I'm sick, I want to seek His healing. When I'm overcome with stress, I want to retreat into His quiet presence. When I feel like I've failed, I want to humble myself in His presence. When I'm worried about a loved one, I want to touch his life or her life in prayer. Now listen, if you are not justified, you don't ever want anything bad to happen because you know this life is all you've got and you want it to be good. But if you're justified, you know that whatever life deals you, heaven is in your future, and you identify with the words of Romans 8.18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. Two more joys of justification. The love of God is in the text. Verses 5 through 8, God demonstrated His love for us in creation, in the historical narrative of the Old Testament, revealing His quest through the ages to restore us to Himself. He demonstrated His love for us in sending Jesus in the fullness of time, in fulfillment of numerous prophecies. But the greatest demonstration of love for us is this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus is the supreme revelation of God's love. 
So i got to jump ahead to Romans chapter 8 and pull this in, verse 38, 39. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. One final joy. It's in the text, verses 9 through 11. Reconciliation with God. Oh, there you go, Pastor. You're introducing another ancient word right at the finish line. I know. But it's in the text. That's where the text leads us. So let's go with it. Look at this. Since we have been justified by Jesus' blood, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received reconciliation. You see, friends, God did so much more than just allow us to escape the penalty of eternal death because of our sins. He also reconciled us to Himself. Are you in His embrace today? Reconciliation is the language of friendship and being justified has restored us to a right relationship with our Heavenly Father. So are you celebrating this joy in your life? Is seeking His presence, seeking His face, is that a value to you? Or is it a void in your life? Is corporate worship, what we're doing here this morning, is it a delight or is it a duty? Is, is prayer... Is it a pleasure or is it a pressure? Is Bible study deep or is it dull? Here's a question. Is your heavenly Father like that aged, distant relative in a nursing home that you know you ought to go visit? Or is He a loved one? that you can't wait to spend time with again. The joys of justification await you today. They do. If you're ready to make Jesus the Savior and Lord of your life, if you're ready today to make Crossroads your church home, if you desire counsel or prayer, we're here to receive you as we stand and worship together.